Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3rd, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Imagine you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, your spray tanning session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. Get up to $25 off your first month featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. (laughs) That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Never be scared of a short, short man. He's always kind and he has a plan. Always be scared of the tall white man. Blue really? In his eyes and a laser in his hands. I, I hate the message of that song. It's a great tune. I will be humming it, but the message is all wrong. <laughs> always be scared of the tall white man. <laughs> always be scared. Welcome to the last podcast on the left, everyone. I am Ben staring at Marcus. I hanging out with Sitar Henry Zabrowski, <laughs> rocking the tunes. Bow, 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 bow. Sitar looks incredibly difficult to play. Well, the harder the um, uh, the harder their instrument to play, the worse it sounds. It's one of those weird <laughs> things. Isn't it? I love a sitar playing. I love that George Harris, Har- the George Harrison solo album was always was always very good. We're already in tall white man territory. <laughs> yes, I'm we are. That we get yeah, to you guys really like want to get into the fucking merits of all things must pass because I can. <laughs> I love it. I love that album. All right, everyone. Today's episode. We're talking, sure, there's going to be some jokes about height. Yes, but when you need toilet paper at the store and you can't reach, when you need paper towels and you can't reach, maybe you want beans and your favorite ones are on the top of the shelf, who are you going to call? The tall whites. And that's who we're talking about today. We're going to try to be less harsh on your people than because you're not really of the tall whites. No, they're the tall thin. whites are they're 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 thin. You you were definitely a giant humanoid because of the size of your joints, right? And how swollen your your the tops of your feet are, and how big and gangly your hands are, and how you're all redheaded, and you could be a cannibal if you just could simply wrap your lips around a small enough person. <laughs> <laughs> all right, tall whites, let's get into it. Now, the tall whites are somewhat unique in the pantheon of alien races because they, unlike the greys and the reptilians, seem to have only one major extended encounter with humans in alien lore. And although one might say that this points towards the story being a complete and total fabrication... Poof! Pish! Pish tosh! <laughs> what? There are other factors that seem to suggest that the story of the tall whites might have, at the very least... A kernel of truth. A whole kernel. A whole. Of- g- hey, man, it's better than most alien stories. That's great. It's true, and so I mean, a whole kernel can do a lot because just a kernel of uranium 
can ruin your entire family line. It totally can. <laughs> One kernel in your stool can keep you alive forever, according to that lore. Remember that? There was a king who ate a corn kernel, and then he just kept on eating it again out of his own dookie. What, what the in the living fuck, fuck, are, fuck you are you talking about? <laughs> what are you possibly fucking talking about? I have, I have not never. I just. We just started you the episode, <laughs> and you're trying to tell me some fake fucking <laughs> drunk on a stool version of of corn lore of a, of a king it's, it's, eating forever corn. It's true. It's true. There's true. I heard that. I think my mother told me the story where <laughs> the guy he kept. She was just trying same. to stop getting you eating them out of the all the corn because you're just sitting on a pile of corn cobs and she's just trying to wrestle some from you so the rest of the family can have corn at the barbecue corn is something it's the it's the food that keeps on giving <laughs> i'll allow it all right. i'll allow it very top three minutes 43 seconds in well concerning those kernels of truth for one the Tall Whites are missing from alien lore because, as we'll see, they are completely and totally uninterested in abduction, hmm. meaning their interactions with humans would be limited. They have their own agendas. They have their own plans. They are not concerned with the, the lives of humankind. They use us as way stops, if you do believe specifically the stories of Charles Hall. But there are other sorts of stories of Tall Whites that I'll bring up as we get into this. And I know that it's, it feels like it's a hard time to just hear the term Tall White. <laughs> again sure. and again and again. But we planned this episode many months ago. So we're yeah. ripping through it. Well, for two, technological advances in recent years, as well as new evidence wholly unrelated to the tall white story, has made it more compelling. In other words, like the incident in Rendlesham Forest, time has been kind to the story of the tall whites. Oh. It's not necessarily boosted the credibility of the Tall Whites, but it's not fully destroyed the idea of the Tall Whites. And the reason why we're covering this episode, the reason why we're even doing this episode, is because we've talked about Venusians. Right. We've talked about Greys. We've talked about, on our stage show, we talked about Tall Whites a little bit when we were identifying them on the street. Do you remember that? When we were found all that footage, just seeing Tall yep. Whites on the street? Yeah. They all look like Scott Van Pelt. He's a great <laughs> sports center host. Now, we owe our knowledge of the Tall Whites to an Air Force veteran named Charles Hall, who outlined his experience with the alien race in six books known collectively as the Millennial Hospitality Series. Wait, six books? It took him six books? I made it through the entire first book, and I made it through a couple of pages of the second book. And the only way I can describe the style of writing is it's it's as if Catch-22 was written by a man who eats cereal for a living. <laughs> well, that's not a these bad are, way to make a living. <laughs> these are difficult books. Okay. And by difficult, I mean they are haltingly written much as the man speaks. Yeah, because the other source is the documentary Walking with the Tall Whites because uh, it's difficult, but it took me two days to watch an hour, 20-minute long documentary because I kept falling asleep. <laughs> oh, okay, so it's good. <laughs> Charles Hall, Charles J. Hall is an interesting, uh, you know what? I'm not going to say fucking interesting. He's the opposite of interesting. <laughs> he is um, so not interesting that it makes him compelling. Oh. And having Natalie walk in several times, because I listened to probably, what, 10 hours of this man speaking, because you're saying that these are the only two sources, but there's not. He was on such legendary shows as the Rob McConnell interview series. <laughs> 
These are big shows. Who he the hell is Rob McConnell? Richplanet.tv. He was on that. He was on Living Self-Sufficient, <laughs> which is a YouTube channel posting a bunch of weird videos inside of a Hilton. I watched 10 hours of him speaking. Wow. And although Charles White is, to say the least, a somewhat sedate human being in his <laughs> speaking engagements, his overall demeanor of maddening calm also lends his story some credence. Yeah, apparently it does. It's not going like, do you have any clue? What fucking happened to me, man? I'll tell you, I met some tall whites, man. They fucking, they stole my barbecue set, man. Like, See, I believe that guy, though. Believe I believe guy? the guy who has a lot of energy, a lot of emotion, a lot of trauma. The Travis Walton. I think that this guy might be too calm. Can I believe him? <laughs> well, we'll see. All right. To put the story in a nutshell, Charles Hall was stationed at Nellis Air Force Base just north of Las Vegas. Or actually, if I remember my Fallout New Vegas map correctly, it's a little northwest of Las Vegas. And I know you remember that every day. Yeah, northeast. Of course it is. (laughs) He was stationed there from 1965 to 1967, sent there ostensibly to take weather readings in the Mojave Desert using weather balloons. What a shitty job to have in the military. Hey, I mean, weather's very important to the Air Force. Not apparently to the stories of Charles Hall. (laughs) Talks about how they just threw balloons out. Didn't even take measurements. But it sounds like it's a thing that's really important because you got to find out where the wind's going for all the planes to land in and out. But they were just making shit up. (laughs) But yeah, he had to go out into the desert heat. They just put him out there, and we'll get to it why it seems to be, it's like they just kind of left him out there to die. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what Hall's main purpose at Nellis ended up being was to work as a sort of unwitting liaison between the United States government and a small colony of aliens known as the Tall Whites. Well, the Tall Whites were, that's also, that was their workplace. They were in an area of the world called, it was Area 54, otherwise known as Dreamland. Apparently, they were given a section of land by the U.S. government. Charles Hall, as we'll see, was there as a sort of training person to get Tall Whites used to human beings. And he was kind of thrown to the dogs that way. But I think it's mostly got to do with the fact that he is the most boring man who's ever lived. (laughs) Natalie asked me to shut it off from the other room. She just came in, she was like, listen, I... I I love you, and I love your pursuit of knowledge to all. I don't think she said either of those things. <laughs> she no, she did. She always prefaces. She couches it. She's really good. She's like, but I am falling asleep in the other room, just <laughs> yeah. hearing him mumbling. And I was just like, I understand. I know. I'm ser- I'm like slowly chopping, like making food as I'm watching him speak. Now, when Charles Hall published the first volume of his Millennial Hospitality series 20 years after being discharged from the Air Force, he presented the book as fiction, supposedly hmm. to protect the identities of the other people involved. But as the books began to get more attention, or perhaps because the books got no attention, not quite yeah. sure which, Charles Hall began to say that everything he'd written in Millennial Hospitality was actually a fictionalized account of a true story. Charles Hall is a deep cut version of characters that we've covered and have then exist throughout all of ufology. I put them kind of on the spectrum between Bob Lazar, who if you begin to look at some of his claims, some of it sounds, there is stuff to back it up. And there's also 
the way his personality works, you can kind of buy it. And yeah. then the other side of the spectrum is Billy Meyer, who we covered uh, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. who was totally a crank, totally a fraud. He might have had some form of, he had some form of visitation or believe that he did, and then he spun it into a whole world of lore. Yeah. Charles Hall, for me, is somewhere in the middle of that spectrum because there's very little concrete proof to prove anything that he says, but it also just gets to become... It's it's just such a fun-ass story, well, and it's a unique look at a, an alien race and a set of agendas that we have not covered whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so to see someone like build out this detailed world, to be honest, if he had just kept it fiction, it would have been... If he was a better author... <laughs> It would have yeah. been a good series. I think but he wrote can... 1,400 pages. So he's trying to do revisionist history, very similar to what Tommy Wiseau does with The Room, <laughs> when he said, oh, no, it's a dark comedy. I did this on purpose. In no way did I accidentally miss the mark so much that it actually became entertaining. Yeah, I wanted to be funny. Yeah, that's his whole thing now. <laughs> well, before we get into the saga of Charles Hall and the Tall Whites, it'd probably be helpful to tell the audience what we know about the alien race we're going to be focusing on today yeah 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 and listen you know again it's there's a lot of shit going on right now but this is a really good time to maybe if you have some hash you guys they sell hash at the fucking store now okay we used to have to smuggle that inside like under our balls and little sandwich baggies but now i go into a store and i can fucking buy it isn't that crazy it's it's almost like it shouldn't be a crime and anybody who's in jail should be fucking out for it you know what i mean yeah yeah but you should go Get yourself, got some top-grade sativa. This is when a new thing I like to do. Get a top-grade sativa, grind it down really, really hard, right, to a nice, fine dust. Then go, get yourself a hybrid hash. Layer it in. Mix, mix, mix with the little shovel that you got, right? Then get one of these, I've been using hemp rope. I'm at this fucking shit, this level of boredom. I bought hemp rope online, and I light the rope, and then I light the bowl, slowly circle, 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 because what you're going to want to do is relax the sphincter of your mind. You're going to want to, you want to get a popper or something, maybe you can do something. Relax the sphincter to just let this information in, because this is an episode of the podcast that is going to make you stupider. All right. And I'm really looking forward to the dulling of the edge. Absolutely, and of course, even the sphincter when relaxed, It will hurt a little bit going in, but uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Now, the tall whites are not white in the way that the three of us are considered white. Hmm. Considered white. (laughs) Whereas the three of us are various shades of pink and beige. I'm pink. I'm pink. The two of you are pink. I'm more of a beige. You are just something. (laughs) You're eggshell. And they say we're not diverse. (laughs) Well, the skin of the tall white is actually white, like chalk. Oh, like Edgar Winter white. Yeah. And while you may think that the chalk white skin would mean they come from a cold planet, their homeworld is actually quite a bit warmer than ours, Hmm. which is partly why they chose the Mojave Desert as their home base on Earth. That's their purview. But the U.S. government also gave them a chunk of the Mojave Desert. So you wonder what they took and what they were simply given, Mm. and what the arrangements were. Because the Tall Whites do not enter into arrangements with any other alien species that does not also in some way benefit them. Mm -hmm. They're very fair. And their brains work seven times faster than ours. Uh I'm actually upset with how much you know about this subject and how happy you are to expel these thoughts from your brain. (laughs) This is the only place in which I could be vaguely considered an authority. (laughs) 
Well, as far as the tall qualifier goes, the tall whites averaged between 6 and 7 feet in height, with the upward ceiling of the tall whites being 9 feet. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I saw I saw a bit. I saw you do a little like... Well, oh, 6 to 7 feet, that's my family. 6'4 <laughs> is the smallest one. 6'11 is the tallest one in my family. Well, but the thing is, if you compare them to other alien species, the other aliens are relatively, for the most part, short. Because of the necessities of space travel, which is true. There's nuts and bolts. It's better for them to be compact. And they are actually inside of a UFO grid. It's good for them to fit inside the little capsules. Mm-hmm. Tall whites are long, but they go through three separate growth periods. They go from baby tall white, where they're a little child tall white, uh-huh. or actually they're at their most dangerous. That's when they're the most reactionary, because they'll snap at you with claws. And they go into a six, seven foot period, right? Where they hear, they basically, they grow up. And a lot of times they have to go back to their home planet where there's less gravity so they can actually spur up to nine feet. Right. What they then do is they use groups of smaller tall whites, the baby tall whites, when they get so high because when they're so tall, that's when they're considered wizened. The small ones are supposed to go around them and support them and keep them from standing up because otherwise they do, they kind of droop around like those weird things that dance in front of car sales places. No kidding. <laughs> like Bailey, WWE superstar, she was a, she's a hugger. That's yeah. what her thing is, and she used to have those outside her entrance. Very interesting, Henry. But as it goes, the tallest of the tall whites, as Henry said, are also the oldest. But therein lies the tragedy of the race. Hmm. What See, is this? Is this about circulation? If this is about, <laughs> if this is about like the, the the veins can't actually get down to their toes and the blood circulation doesn't work, I don't want to hear it. Kinda. Ah. Well, the tall whites' lifespan is about ten times that of a human, eight hundred years. Oh. And halfway through their lifespan, as Henry said, the tall whites go through a third stage of growth that does not stop until their ever-growing height kills them through organ failure. They yeah, have- I mean, they get stretched to death. You have to get the <laughs> surgery. Big Show got it. This is a lot of wrestling references, but Big Show got it, so mm-hmm. he stopped growing. Oh, wow, really? Because Andre didn't get it. What do you mean? They they, they snipped the, I, I don't know. The, the cut, pituitary gland? I don't know what. What? Do. I don't know how anything <laughs> that works. That sounds like it's a bad idea. No, it stops you, you from start growing. getting smaller? No, because he has gigantism. He keeps on going, 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 going. Mm-hmm. And Andre Whoa. had it too, and he could have snipped it, but he chose to not because he wanted to be a big boy. Yeah. Well, as far as the head goes, the tall whites are said to have gigantic blue eyes that damn near sit on the sides of their head, like that girl in the Aphex Twin video. Ah, uh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and although tall whites can be startling... They can still pass as human, which gets under the skin of some exobiologists. I mean, they argue that if the laws of natural selection work on other planets the way they do here, aliens would look nothing like us and may not even be bipedal, depending on the environment in which they evolved. It depends on the nature of the alien, right? Are the aliens just natural extensions of our brains, right? Are we, like, do we help formulate their appearance within our dimension? Therefore, we create some sort of mirroring effect where we selfishly make them look like us so we can understand them or it's what they said in other parts of the universe maybe they'd have like a phosphorus background like a backbone to your DNA instead of carbon and maybe you look like a living fart or maybe you look like a plant with a dick (laughs) All right, that could be that's kind of fun But others argue that it is essential that sentient aliens have similar bodies and faces to ours due to the universal utility of various aspects of the human form. Or, as it's put on (laughs) OpenSETI.org, what's good for us should be good for everyone. 
Whoa, buddy, whoa, yeah. throwing the shit around. Wow. I, but I also think it fits into the Judeo-Christian outlook of many people that believe that's a way for them to fold in the concept of God and aliens at the same time so they can believe that God used the same molds at the factory to make aliens that they made us. And that he, because God is supposed to, we're supposed to be quote unquote made in, in his, her image, right? That we look like the way the Godhead would look like. Yeah. So therefore, they, we constantly reproduce things that look just like us, which looks like God. So mm. you look like God. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I tell you, man, LRH, same waistline. But according to Charles Hall, while the tall whites may look like peculiar humans, they can, with the proper dress, pass as humans, which the more seasoned tall whites do during occasional field trips to nearby Las Vegas. They love Vegas. Yeah. They love Vegas. They love gambling with our money. It's really? really, really fun for them. This is a big thing, according to Charles Hall. They love Vegas. and But the way Charles Hall also, the way he describes tall whites, it's like, it's like meeting anybody from New York City, where you go and they come from all walks of life. All sorts of different styles of haircut, different styles of music, different styles of food. They could be any type of person, especially in New York City. She's like, I'm gonna fucking blow my brains out. Yeah, you can see, you can just see him talking over whatever, wherever he is. I feel like he's eating a deviled egg, and you can just see he begins talking, and there might be people around. And by the time he's done with his sentence, no one is there. He's obsessed with New York City. He uses that as the the the, the ultimate melting pot. Nothing is wilder than a street in New York City, which is true. Yeah, sure. Well, one YouTube commenter claimed that they saw a group of tall whites years ago wandering around Burning Man. And this person claimed to have been 100% sober at that point in the festival. Okay. And no one's ever been nothing but truthful on a YouTube comment. Absolutely. <laughs> now, since the tall whites are able to mingle with Americans, it follows that they would need at least some command of the English language in order to communicate with the blackjack dealers and the hippies. Sure. Well, they have mechanical boxes. Um, on their clothes that they use to translate into English, and then they use back and forth. They actually they they use that. That's what they use, and they they're not psychic, but they can put imagery into your mind huh. from their mind using these little boxes that they have in their belts. Kind of like my good friend Craig Rowan has a little box, but it was because he has diabetes. Yeah, kind of kind of <laughs> like that indeed. Well, that's good for gambling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's good to have psychic abilities when gambling. Mm -hmm. Sure. Is it possible these are just men with alopecia? <laughs> and they are constantly being hunted by stoned freaks at, at Burning Man. They have beautiful, long, wispy white hair okay. quite a bit, but it's spar It's way thinner than human hair. Oh. It's like all bunches of weird little wires, it's like we the weird, funky-ass alien spaghetti. I'll yeah. never forget when I discovered angel hair spaghetti. Yeah. Mm. Oh, you'll never forget? That your 9-11? Yes, I remember when my mom accidentally <laughs> bought it. And it was incredible, and then we got Angel here for the rest of the year. That's what happened. <laughs> I'm just trying to add to the conversation. If you guys want to talk about the 60-game baseball season, we can talk about that. Everything's going to have an asterisk. If you win the World Series, who cares? The Mets are probably going to win it this year, and it's not going to matter. Wow. <laughs> My sister is the best gift giver I've ever met of any person. It's Jackie Zabrowski. She shops all year thinking about her family and friends and puts little things aside for their birthdays and Christmases. I have no idea how she does it. I don't know how she do it, but guess what? 
She always wins Mother's Day, but not this year. I'm coming back. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? I'm taking the crown. All right, give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. I mean this. We have the Aura frame up in my home. We absolutely love it. I can put photos on it very, very easily through the app. It's fun to do. And the memories keep cycling and I get emotional. And we filled it with pictures of Carmi and Wendy. And that is not sad. That is celebratory. So you should try it. It's honestly a really good product. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code LEFT at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents' accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse pics over various country borders, I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big money at but the fact that the Tall Whites can communicate in English begs the question of what their language sounds like. Mm. And from what Charles Hall says, most of their speech sounds are inaudible to the human ear because they speak mostly on a frequency that we can't hear. Oh. But according to Charles Hall, the sounds we can hear sound something like a combination of the beautiful lilt of a singing meadowlark and the short, sharp stabs of a barking dog. Oh. Oh. <laughs> What's that, Lord Glock? What's that? Baby Jessica's stuck in the well. What? You threw oh, her? Well's your asshole. What? Um, oh, you gotta, gotta release, release. Whoa. He said that it's also, it, it, one way Charles Hall described their speaking, he said, it's as if you put your face up close to a speaker at a rock session. <laughs> Uh, oh, this man is not a human. 
That is, that's my official take. He away. might be the alien. He could be. Well, in addition to Henry's interpretation, I've also taken the liberty of doing a little sound mixing to try and approximate what a room full of tall whites conversing with each other might sound like. Oh my God, I can just see you staring at Carolina as she enters the room, just being like, Marcus, dinner's ready. And you're like, I'm working. I am working. working. Can't you see? My headphones are on. My brow is wet. I'm hard as the dickens. I am doing sound designing. Let's listen. God damn it. It's very soothing. I like it. I don't know. Those are the nicest noises you've ever made in that little room. Thank you. However, as cool as an encounter with the tall whites might seem, some... At no point have you guys made it seem cool. At no point It's kind of cool because they show up and they wave. Yeah. And they got cool suits on, man. Yeah. But they don't really care for us very much. And to be honest, they're very aloof. (laughs) They're kind of... To be honest, it's like a bunch of space Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. Goop. But some... Tall whites are also skittish to the point where they will not hesitate to use extreme force if they are threatened in any way. Hmm. And it is not hard to make a tall white feel as if his life is in danger. Always be scared of the tall white man (laughs) because they are physically very vulnerable. So they get very, very scared, especially on the planet Earth, because we are a warlike ape. When they come down here and deal with us, they are very on guard because they know that we like to shoot first and ask questions later. Right. So they quite more, more often than not. They zap you with that fucking laser, dude. Mm-hmm. They got a fucking they got lasers that they zap you with, but then sometimes they have little instruments that just makes you makes you completely freeze and then they can do whatever they want to you. Now, from what Charles Hall said in the documentary, Walking with the Tall Whites, one needs to declare each and every movement when you're around them, whether it be standing up or walking across the room, lest a jumpy tall white interpret the action as aggressive. Oh my God, it's like hanging out with a bunch of people on mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) You legitimately, the only person that could have discovered this accidentally is Charles Hall, who does that in his day-to-day life. (laughs) I'm walking to the door. Huh? It's only seven steps to the door from where my office chair is. Better write that down. <laughs> now I'm going to use this hand. It's my right hand. I know because I put it up, and it doesn't make an L properly shaped when I look at it from my eyeballs, which are there are two, <laughs> here in the top of this circle that is called my head. Now, although the tall whites are much weaker than humans, they react and move much faster. With their lightning-quick reflexes, they are able to produce a pencil-shaped weapon <gasps> that can stun, immobilize, hypnotize, or kill humans using microwave frequencies that interact with ions in our bodies. That's cool. Yeah, dude. Now, as dangerous as they are, they can also be friendly. However, that friendliness also comes with a fair amount of arrogance and casual insults, which, when you're dealing with Americans, can result in conflict very quickly. Well, the one time, the, Charles Hall said that they loved playing mind games with him because they could think seven times faster than us. So one time he's like, can you please just, uh, I've never asked you, what's the name of your, what is the name of your uh, home planet? And they're like, well, Charles, tell me, do you speak Zelenium? Um, no, no, I do not. I, I do not speak Zelenium, teacher. 
Then, even if we were to tell you the name of our planet, you would not know it. <laughs> oh my God, I can't. I can't with these people. You know for a fact they're just, you know, Big Bang Theory might be canceled, but at least we have young Sheldon. I hate these people. Well, the tall whites are also just terribly strange to behold, which caused a lot of military men who first came into contact with them in the Nevada desert to immediately flip out. And then when the military men flipped out, uh-huh. the tall whites attacked. And then you fucking zapped, dude. It scars you up. Okay. But this is precisely what made Charles Hall the perfect man to liaison with the tall whites. Placid to the point where you might think something is wrong, Charles Hall was just boring enough to survive extended encounters with these high-strung alien creatures. Now, prior to arriving at Nellis Air Force Base, Charles Hall had done a brief tour in Vietnam. But after scoring what he said was the highest test score ever in a mathematics portion of the Air Force placement (laughs) test. Yes. He was assigned to a weather station in the Mojave Desert. Is it possible that they just lied to him (laughs) to get him out of Vietnam because he was doing so bad as a soldier? (laughs) I I have an extended theory about Charles Hall where we're going to see how often the general calls him to tell him he's doing a good job. How many, the general of Nellis Air Force Base. They, how many times people could like being like, Charles Hall's simply the smartest man that I've ever met that are huh. all in his books. And it starts to get to the point that I read a, I start to think, I think he's trying to hear those words from other people that he's never heard them before. He's never heard a minute of encouragement. I read the forward because his wife made him write the books. His wife said that he was puttering around. He had no job. He had finally, he was completely unemployed. And she's like, we got to get money in coming in his house. And he was just like, well, maybe we could take a look at the memoirs. I am writing for our grandchildren. She's like, let me look at this. She went, she got all the memoirs together. And she was like, this is filled with what she called vulgar masculine language. It must be edited. And we need to sell this immediately because you're not making enough money for this house. And so I she went. his wife seemed like a woman who just needed, the, who realized the bills have to be paid. She's and maybe correct. he should make some money. She was correct. But I don't think he's ever experienced a word of encouragement in his life. Okay. <laughs> Now, once Charles arrived at Nellis, he immediately made an impression on one of the Air Force majors by insulting the major's wife. Charles, in his mid-twenties at the time, was attending a party, and the intoxicated major's wife asked him to dance. This is one of those fun things where she was dancing from man to man, right? And she was like a fun, gregarious woman who got a little handsy on the dance floor. And it's all like, you want to dance these tall, slim soldiers? Like a lot of go, oh, let's see, these keys in your pocket? <laughs> go now and like feeling for like going inside the men's like pockets in the back of their pants and stuff. But then she sauntered over to Charles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Charles said, ugh, no, you're too old. Whoa, Charles! <laughs> yeah. Charles! And the Major's wife stomped off. And, and that- everyone was like, oh, dude, what are you doing, man? You said no to the fucking Major's wife, man. Yeah. What is, I mean, is the Major a cuck like Jim Cornette? What's going on here? That's wrestling news, Jim Cornette. He's a cuck. We didn't know that until this week. Well, the next day, Charles was called to the Major's office for what Charles assumed was going to be a first-rate ass-chewing. Mm. Oh, I know. Nothing worse than a second-rate ass-chewing. That's just, that's just embarrassing. But instead, the Major thanked Charles for turning down his eternally intoxicated wife's constant advances to all the men. Yep. And that Charles was the only airman to do so. All the other men was like, yeah, yeah, I'll dance with your wife. Huh. And therefore, 
Charles could be trusted as a man who knew his place. Makes all this the is sense a plot. In the world. She stole. He stole this plot line from Mister Belvedere. Yes, <laughs> I'm pretty certain. After that, Charles proved himself further by talking down six F-105 fighters on a training mission through a blind landing, using nothing more than his extensive knowledge of the wind. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, weather's pretty important to the whole it, flying process. I heard you that. would be surprised how much I know about wind. Wind can go left, wind can go right, and depending on where you're standing, that is either east or west. <laughs> and sometimes, if I eat a certain amount of fibrous foods, I can make my own wind. <laughs> Charles, that's funny. <laughs> Humor is normally a a statement that is incongruous with logic <laughs> that one says to, in order to create a physical reaction. So, yes, indeed, it was scientifically funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, for his efforts, Charles was assigned to do weather readings in a weather shack using weather balloons Mm -hmm. out in the Mojave Gunnery Range. Or at least, that's what Charles thought his job was supposed to be. Before Charles even went out to the range to begin his assignment, though, he began hearing stories about a horse that haunted the desert that men had named Range for Harry. I fucking love this story. This is the story that got me wanting to do this episode, is that I love this idea of an atomic evil horse that is just (laughs) betrayed by the nuclear testing of the American government, now seeks to terrorize our boys in blue. Yes, indeed. Green? I think something like that. As the story went, back in 1954, Range 4 Harry was a horse that had been too close to an atomic bomb test blast. It wasn't close enough to kill him, but he was close enough to be terribly burned. (gasps) And on warm summer nights, the radioactive beast roamed Range 4, glowing a soft fluorescent light. It's like Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, dude, it's cool. You look out in the fucking deserts, you just see this fucking ghost horse sacking people with atomic energy that's fucking dope. That's pretty fun. All right. Cool. But this was no ghost. (gasps) It was said that anyone who tried to get in close to the horse either got burned or came under attack. And the few that did see him up close said that he was tall and had a human-like face with big blue eyes. (laughs) It's so weird and disturbing (laughs) to think about. (laughs) It's interesting to think that, like... You see, it takes the logic of, he said that he was the only man that they could trust enough to put out into this area of the desert, which was completely unmanned. No one was uh-huh. out there. And it was filled with dangerous radioactive ghosts. And they kept telling him it's because he was a great soldier. And yeah. I'm starting to think it's the exact opposite. Yeah, I think they <laughs> wanted him dead. Now, the men of Nellis believed in Range 4 Harry so fervently that many of the men who took the assignment on Range 4 refused to carry out their duties alone. But Charles Hall was skeptical and suspected that maybe the whole thing was a humbug played on the new guy. Hmm. That all changed, though, when Charles spoke with an airman named Dwight, whom Charles trusted because Dwight had also told him a story about how one time he and his dad had talked to the president. Uh-huh. So that's a guy you trust. You have to. <laughs> yep. Yeah, nope. absolutely. Was it on an airplane with Jeffrey Epstein? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Well, Dwight said that when he saw Range 4 Harry, it gave off a fluorescent light that, while soft, still hurt your eyes. Another airman named Rigby also saw Range 4 Harry and afterward refused to go out into the desert alone and unarmed. Always went out with another dude and a loaded pistol. Okay. The first person to recognize that Range 4 Harry was not a horse, but was in fact a humanoid, though, 
was a fellow weather observer named Jackson. And that that's how the millennial hospitality goes. Uh, Charles Hall only refers to these men by like their first names. Like well, Jackson, he just says, Matt. He changed everything twice over. He first changed all the names, and then he said he changed all, all the locations. And as we get a little bit later in the episode, we'll see that's kind of where people then search for proof, where they try to line up the things he talked about geographically and topographically to certain places around Air Force bases to prove that it's real. But he changed a lot of stuff, and he didn't do really good with, like, the things that, like, a biography normally have, like, details. Right. And, like, like facts and, like, dates and, like, proper sequencing of, like, sequential, like, placings of, like, ideas. Well, it seems like that's a long way of saying truth. (laughs) It seems like there's not a lot of truth in that. But we'll see. I'm sure we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Well, Jackson said that Range 4 Harry looked like a thin human, all chalk white with blonde hair and blue eyes. Hmm. However, he did say that Range 4 Harry looked at him the same way a horse looks at a human. What is that? I have no idea. I grew up around horses. I have no fucking clue what he's talking about. All right. Hey, hey where, are you, where are you going, huh? You need a ride? <laughs> you need a ride? What are you doing, huh? You want to get up there? Yeah. I don't know how horses look. Like a sly look, like a... A horse looks at a human the same way he looks at a tree, the same way he looks at a fucking cat. Horse looks at everything the same. It's just a horse. Horses are very smart, though. But I thought a horse gives you, like, a certain amount of affection. Oh, yeah, of I'm not talking about, like, sex, but... I mean, yeah, I, I'd take affection from a horse. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. a horse. You're a big horse. Oh, you're such a big good horse. Now you're talking my but language. But you've never had a favorite horse? Don't horses, like, run up to you and you scruff their rough and you, like, go and you play with their mane and stuff and give them a, a wax down? Give them kisses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, you put a little carrot in your mouth and say, hey, here, buddy, hey, have a carrot. <laughs> you do that a lot? No, I've never done that, but you, you could do that. Do that. Why you haven't you do done it? Have fun with it. You have horses. You could lady in the tramp with a horse. <laughs> yeah, why well, would you? I just like petting a horse. Horse is very pretty. Very pretty. Very, very pretty. soft. Yeah, yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. But yeah, muscular. <laughs> very muscular. Ride him, ride him hard, leave him wet. Yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they flap their tail around, show, show, show you their butthole. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's fun. <laughs> Jackson was also the first guy to get close enough to speak to Range 4 Harry. And when Jackson told the tall white his rank and name, introducing himself, the tall white responded by saying, quote, You may call me Range 4 Harry. But that was a fairly peaceful interaction. Yeah. Another airman named Zimmerman was not so lucky. That might have been Bob Dylan. (laughs) Really? After hearing a tale of Zimmerman being badly burned by Range 4 Harry, Charles Hall checked the medical records. And sure enough, he claims to have seen actual pictures of bone-deep burns that were similar to wounds caused by extreme radiation exposure. Hmm. And with those pictures were Zimmerman's statements that he'd been burned by a radioactive horse. Damn! So cool. I want to play a radioactive horse in a video game. <laughs> Zap people with my cock rays and give uh, give cool people rides. By the way, thank you to the creators and the the wonderful designer for Last of Us 2 for yeah. giving us a small shout out. Marcus found it. Yeah, I found and it. That, I saw that, it. It's really cool. It's very strange to see uh, yourself in a video well, game and it. to know that we most likely all three died in the uh, on Outbreak Day. Cool. <laughs> make, make me an atomic horse in Last of Us 3. <laughs> No, now you have demands. I'm just asking. It would be fun. Now play Henry the Atomic Horse. And I could like show, but go do a side quest where you got to find me apples. Yeah, that, that's such an exciting side quest. 
I that, play a lot of games where that's where the side thought, quests are. Just when you thought Death Stranding couldn't get more boring, make it about <laughs> apples. Now, it was amidst all these stories that Charles Hall was assigned to weather reading duties at the old shack on Range 4 after an airman named Sullivan declared he would never again return to the area, no matter this what. Is, this is one thing that is interesting, that he would, he would talk about how everyone's reactions out in the desert. I don't know if it was just to boost up his own bravery, but there is something to it. Because if you, people talk about the Skinwalker Ranch being like, one thing in general you hear is that it you just walk around there and you just feel the fucking hairs in the back of your neck stand up, right. right? There is just something about this concept of you're out in the middle of nowhere, but you feel like you're observed. And so that was the thing that they said about this area of the world, which has been brought up in alien lore for forever. Like yeah. this is the, the underground caverns in the middle of like in the deserts of New Mexico and Wyoming and like all these, that the, the central stripe of America have always been associated with reptilians, greys, all sorts of alien life mm. living underneath it. And people saying when they go under there or going under the ground, I don't know if it's just the humans natural reaction to, to kind of harsh circumstances that we kind of feel afraid or something. But this part of the world, like they would just were freaked out by it. Yeah. Hmm. And Wyoming, of course, it's a bowl. <laughs> it's a bowl. That's why you'll notice the winds are different. And yeah. There's dust. Yeah. It's, it's a bowl. It's a bowl. Yeah. Fascinating country. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Now, since Charles didn't really believe in all that radioactive horse business, he had no problem going out to the range alone to take readings. I think but, he called it poppycock. Yeah, poppycock. And that's, a, that's strong language. He called language. it poppycock. <laughs> yes. But Sullivan, the man whom Charles had replaced, flipped out when he discovered Hall was heading out alone. According to Millennial Hospitality, Charles, Charles Hall's book, this is what Sullivan told him. And this is a direct reading from the book. You shouldn't do that, Charlie. It's too dangerous. It's just too dangerous. They'll come, Charlie. They always do. Even in the barracks, they always come. They're curious, Charlie. They're curious about everything. How they love the darkness. They come just to look. And when Charles asked Sullivan just who was coming to look, Sullivan said, It's the creatures. The white creatures. The white creatures, Charlie. They'll come. They always come. It's a very dramatic dramatic army branch here <laughs> interesting now, as far as what charles's job out in that weather shack was he coincidentally was in charge of setting off weather balloons which even a passing student of ufology knows has been the skeptics de facto explanation of the crash at roswell mm-hmm. but what charles discovered out in the desert was that over the previous seven years over 1,000 weather balloons still in their original packaging, have been discarded unused by airmen who were too scared to actually do the work. They just drove out there, threw them off, and then drove back. Huh. Yep. They, according to Sullivan, when they were first getting together, like, because Sullivan was training Charles, and Charles was just taking it back. I mean, like, what I always remember about Sullivan was just how how handsome his hair was and how pressed his suit was. And he, I was like, that's the most soldierous soldier I've ever seen in my life. And he just loved, he loved Sullivan. Talk about how handsome he was for like three or four pages. And then Sullivan told him, listen, here's the thing. You could just make up the wins. Every Monday, when they need the wins on the air, it's like, I don't stick around here. I come around here, I stay at range one. I stay at range one. I never go to range three or four. You go out here, but you know what? I just always send in stuff. The big thing is, if you're ever sending in fake wins, Write down the number four. Yeah. The government loves the number four. They just love it. And you can use it at any time. And so Charles Hall would go like, he doesn't understand. So he showed up. And apparently this place, which should have been, 
this is a top secret nuclear testing facility where they also like run new air technology in and out. And they were just saying they were just throwing, giving fake weather data for years. Well, that doesn't sound good. No, I don't think it's, I don't think that's good. I don't know. And Charles insisted on doing the job right. And it was while he was in the middle of doing his duty that he had his first encounter with the tall whites. Okay. Now, at first, Charles only saw white fluorescent patches floating in the distance. This is the shit that's fucking interesting, because he would pop in and out, right? He would see these sort of, like, squares, white squares of fluorescence that kind of come in, kind of the way when we were talking with John Tenney for a Patreon interview this week, where he talked about how, like, people see the same UFO, but in different shapes and forms, and people see the same anomalous thing. That's what's weird, is that he saw, like, this floating patch, but then it turned into something else the longer he saw it. Cool. Yeah, John Tenney said in Michigan, people are seeing a triangle with legs walking around. Weird. Very strange. Yeah, and cubes covered with hair. Wow. Yes, yes. But when Charles nonchalantly told the other men what he'd seen, they once again flipped out. Because as Charles Hull describes it in his book, there was nary an airman at Nellis who wasn't one step away from a full hysterical breakdown whenever the tall whites were mentioned. How did we win the Cold War? (laughs) How did we win anything? (laughs) When Charles spoke of the lights, an airman that he named Matt said he'd seen a big flying saucer shaped like a flattened sphere, ellipsoidal as they called it, out in the desert. Outside of the UFO were three tall, thin, chalk-white humanoids sleeping in hammocks strung between the trees. <laughs> or as Charles Hall keeps saying, hammocks. <laughs> I again, don't like again, it. It's a hammock. <laughs> He just says hammocks, and I just it, it makes my brain hurt every single time I hear it. But the tall whites, because they were so soft, they needed to sleep in hammocks because beds mm. would hurt their thin alien bones. Well, actually, yeah. that, that doesn't make sense. The hammock is not that comfortable. I think it's I an hate overrated, overrated form of leisure. Yeah, ha- hammock really isn't all that great. You always no. get twisted up, and it. it's not comfortable at all. No. I'm stressed going in. I'm stressed coming out. Absolutely. I'm supposed to spend my whole fucking afternoon relaxing in this hammock, knowing for a fact that I'm going to come spilling out of it anytime. That's scary stuff. I'm not a fucking baby. Don't put me in a Bjorn. I'm an adult. I'm on vacation. I want a chair. As far as those ships go, Charles described them as being white pods somewhat shaped like Tic Tacs. To me, the artist's rendition sort of looks like the top section of an ocarina. You know what an ocarina looks like. Yeah, of course I love her. <laughs> Big old jubblers. Uh, yeah, Ocarina. I met her. I met her in. Uh, I met her in Portland uh, at the Lucky Devil Lounge. Oh, it's an instrument. It's uh, like a. It's like a flute, but it's like kind of fat on top. But it's got like a. Yeah, it, it's. Yeah, I met her in Portland at the Lucky Devil Lounge. Like a, I said, a lip. Yeah, it's for like beautiful Irish women and big fat dudes at Renaissance fairs. Ah, uh, oh, I want to go to a Ren fair so bad. Me too. But as Charles continued his duties, he discovered that perhaps his assignment wasn't what he thought it was. According to his buddy Dwight, all of Hall's submitted wind reports were being tossed in the garbage. And when Charles tried phoning in the reports, he was told they weren't needed. And if men were getting away with just tossing weather balloons on the ground for seven years, and if Charles's reports weren't being read, and if nobody even cared what he was doing out there, then the real question was what was he doing out there? Sofas, recliners, love seats, everything is better in leather. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley, where bold meets durable. And wait a minute, who's been finger painting on the couch again? 
That's okay. Leather is easy to clean. The new leather collection at Ashley is built with the durability you need for the whole family. Yes, pets too. Luxury is meant to be livable. Shop chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night. No matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale. Even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch. When it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too oh let me just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not well soon after charles started questioning his role he found out. One night, as he was taking readings, he spotted a small white creature hiding behind some sagebrush, occasionally peeking out. Hi. Hi. Hello. Well, well. Charles asked if it needed help, but when it ran off, Charles followed it in his truck. Eventually, Hall managed to corner the creature in a thick sagebrush patch, and that's when Charles discovered that he'd been chasing a three-foot-tall, white-skinned little girl. He said she was much thinner than an ordinary girl, and she had oversized eyes molded to the side of her head, almost like a deer. Christina Ricci! (laughs) It does. It's a little Christina Ricci-like. It sounds a little bit like Christina Ricci, yeah. And her hands only had four fingers, which ended in short, sharp claws. And there was a little section of Sullivan's story where he did say that he saw a tall white and accompanied by its child. And the child attacked him with these claws. So these are actually the most dangerous form of tall white because this is before they learn how to control their impulses. Okay. Because they have the, they attack on instinct and they can righteously F your S up if they wanted to. And of course, I mean, the child's, I would assume that phase is like 200 years. Uh, yeah, if you're living I think like so. 800? Yeah, it, it is. I think they do describe it as being about like 200 years, right? They're around for a while. They gotta. They get. They take so much milk. <laughs> it takes so much milk to make them big. It does. Yeah. Well, feeling both sympathetic and terrified, Charles treated the whole situation with calm and care, backing up his truck to let the little girl go when he came to realize that she was not in any way human. But when he let her out. He heard a loud, shrill sound from behind the truck, so he hightailed it back to the weather shack. Hmm. However, he felt as if he was being followed, and when he turned around, he saw another white creature, this one six feet tall. Terrified, Charles drove back to the base, calming himself by saying that what he'd seen was probably some bizarre, undiscovered species of seagull. Oh, oh, yeah. Seagull yeah. always looks like kids. I always throw <laughs> breads at kids just walking down the street yeah. thinking they're seagulls and go, get out of here. Get out of here. You're crazy seagull. Yeah. But before he returned to the base, he said he felt the presence of one of the creatures thanking him for finding the child, which Thank freaked you. out Charles so much he had to pull over and vomit. 
Oh. He vomits a lot. He does. <laughs> he vomits quite a bit. He talks about vomiting being tired. He talks about being vomiting. He talks about vomiting from being hurt. He talks about being he talks about vomiting from fear and he talks about vomiting from being happy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he All vomits right. quite a bit in millennial hospitality. Well, once he got back to Nellis, the base cook, Smokey, had a thermos of coffee, eight pieces of toast, eggs and bacon waiting. On the order of the base general, who'd somehow been aware of what had just transpired between Charles and the tall white child. This is something I don't... This is where the the book also kind of breaks down in terms of I have no clue what the fuck's going on here. Yeah. Apparently, the aliens would contact the general saying, your guy's doing good out here. Right. In order to thank him, the general himself would order a big breakfast for Charles to have. Uh-huh. Like, Charles was a hobbit, and this was the only way to give him, like, money wouldn't help or a medal wouldn't help. He'd All that all Charles Hall would need is bacon. <laughs> so he's just like, give that guy a big old breakfast. Which one? The one who called my wife a fat bitch. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> and so, Smokey, who for some reason was carrying messages for the general... Told Charles that because of his calm and kindness, he need not be afraid of anything white out on the ranges ever again. It never explains why the base cook was the liaison between the general and Charles Hall. Okay. Things are real loose at Nellis Air Force Base. Yeah. Because everybody knows everybody's business, and the general, even though this is a highly covert base, next to an even more highly covert base filled with aliens... Then you don't. It's 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 strange. Sounds like you need a you, you need a big breakfast, Henry. It sounds like you need a big breakfast. I mean, I I love a big breakfast. Well, after that, the tall white sightings came with greater regularity. Charles noticed that the soft fluorescent light that everyone had described was actually a trick of the light because the clothing the tall whites wore appeared to be made from something close to aluminum. What is this? Fubu. <laughs> Fubu. Very interesting. But when Charles did see a tall white. It was usually when they were in motion, as he usually saw them as they were sprinting across the desert at speeds of up to 35 miles per hour. They would do the Naruto run, straight up. Arms back, hair blowing behind them. He would see, it was, uh, there's certain images that are kind of burned in my mind just from thinking about it. And I think it's got something to do with all the hash that I have. But the idea of like driving and like looking up into the desert and just seeing like, this weird, tall, white, long-haired thing standing in the brush, and then whoosh, arms back, yeah. hair flying, as dust shoots around them as they zoom back and forth. Around. That's fun as hell. Honestly, yeah. that's Kevin Barnett's dream life. All he wanted to be was Naruto. Just as in for Halloween once. Very good outfit. Now, when Charles started seeing the tall whites more and more, he decided to start following them. But the speed at which they ran, 35 miles per hour, was much faster than Charles' top speed of 8 miles per hour. Yeah! He timed wait. himself. <laughs> he tried to be the, t- the t- he was trying to be the fastest man in 10 feet. And what he would do is literally run 30 yards. He would set up 30 yards and time himself and then do the math to see how fast it was to go back and forth just to see if they really were running that much faster than he could run. <laughs> yeah, I think they are. So you can just see the people smoking cigarettes just being like, what's Charles doing? 
just being a fucking idiot again. Ra- I can't wait till the tall whites kill him. Yeah, somehow he's racing himself and losing. I really think they were fattening him up like a fucking pig, too. Just giving him all the food. Just, just trying to see what weapon the tall whites use to kill him. They set up a whole Truman Show version of the army where they're all just being like, yeah, Charles, you're the smartest cadet we've ever had. You're the best one. Just keep going out there. Why don't you go poke him a little bit? <laughs> see what happens when you shoot this air horn at him. Yeah. All right, let's just see what happens. <laughs> well, you know, even though the fastest human to ever live, Usain Bolt, that's about 28 miles per hour. Oh, okay. Um, Charles figured maybe if he starts training, he can catch up to the tall whites. <laughs> yeah. So he started training because, you know, he didn't really have a whole lot to do. Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> nope. But as he was practicing his broad jump by himself in the middle of the Mojave Desert outside of his money, mother shack. I would fucking pay money to see it, dude. This is me because we're shaped exactly the same. Me and Charles all. He slipped, smashed his knee, fell into a thorn patch, and vomited. He just vomits immediately. It's like it's like a his way of keeping predators away from him. <laughs> well, hurt and screaming in pain with no hope of rescue, Charles saw a tall white again hiding behind the sagebrush. Hmm. Little help. Eventually, another one arrived, and they finally came out of hiding with what looked like an old-timey doctor's bag. And for some reason, this fucking freaked out Charles. But, you know, he was terrified but still calm, and he managed to get up and limp back to the shack. The reason why, though, an explanation for the reason why he might be so scared is that they they talk about sometimes in abduction scenarios, especially the greys are traditionally more scary than all of the other aliens whatsoever, except, of course, the reptilians, but the reptilians are pretty rare in terms of people having direct experiences with reptilians. So the idea is that something so not human is in front of you that your body has a nervous reaction, like literally you hunch like a cat and you do a, you have this sort of like out-of-body experience because you're meeting another ultra predator Mm -hmm. that you can't understand and can fucking kill you in a second with a laser beam. Mm -hmm. Well, they did back off, but once Charles got inside the shack, a telephone call came from Nellis, saying a woman had called the Pentagon to say Charlie had broken his leg and needed help. And they were calling to see if he, in fact, needed help. They called the Pentagon. They, one of the tall whites called the Pentagon. They called the Pentagon. <laughs> what, what phone did they call? Did, did, they just called the building? What we don't know right now in this point of the story is that there is an entire base filled with aliens down the street from where they're at. So they had, like, lunchrooms and shit, and they had phones... In that area, so yeah, they used. You think the Pentagon didn't have anything else going on? I nope. You didn't, the Pentagon just was just like, oh, Dumpy Dumpfuck fell in a thorn bush. <laughs> so we. They better- all love him. They're all really focused on Charles in the story. Huh. Well, a few days later, Charles was setting off a balloon at 4:30 a.m. near a generator shack when he saw white lights coming from the cracks in the shack doors. He went in to shut off the generator. When he turned around. He was faced with Range 4 Harry. (laughs) And Range 4 Harry was looking at his dick like he never saw something so special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this encounter, like many of Charles Hall's encounters with the Tall Whites, is somewhat confusing. Although it's hard to say whether the confusion comes from the encounter or from Hall's writing. I am so fucking confused. (laughs) 
<laughs> at any rate, Charles said that Harry pointed his pencil-like instrument at Charlie's temple and told him that this wasn't going to hurt, but his generals really needed to inspect that damaged knee. They had to look at him and make sure that he could be carefully looked at without freaking or vomiting all over there. Do you have any idea how hard it is to clean fabricized aluminum? It's a lot, yeah. All right, so they got to look at the knee. They got to look at the knee. Yeah, sure. Charles's vision then blurred for what felt like only a few seconds. But when he regained his composure, two hours had passed. After that, there were a few incidents of slight weirdness. One time, the phone at the shack rang irregularly. <gasps> and another time, Charlie saw tumbleweeds change direction mid-tumble. But for the most part, the tall whites backed off for a little while. This is a boring part of the fucking book. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> when we get to the point where we're describing how tumbleweeds move. Yeah. That's when I'm like, what What if I fall asleep to death? Yeah. And never wake up. Sure. Sometime later, though, the tall whites came back. They arrived on a floating platform wearing fluorescent suits and helmets. But when Charles first saw them from a distance, they appeared to cast the shape of a large horse. All right, what are, All the right. Odds, what are the odds that this is just Rush doing a USO show? <laughs> I mean, it does sort of feel like they are practicing with new, they're out, they're just, they just needed to find room for their new, like, stage play, for their new huge, like, lifting pieces for their movement shows. Oh, movement shows. We forgot what the word concert is. We <laughs> oh, my God, I need so to get long. out of my house. I, I miss the movement shows. I need anything. I'm losing my ability to describe things. <laughs> Well, what uh, this kind of shows is that, you know, in the past when they men said, when the men said, hey, we saw this big radioactive horse out there, what they were actually seeing were the tall whites on the floating platform. It was mm. all a trick of light. I see. So after a little hide and seek with these tall whites, Charles was able to get a good look at the group. That's when he saw that the tall whites traveling on the platform were actually a small family. They were family. What? Now, according to what Charles White, later discovered the tall whites actually have family structures much like we do with uncles and cousins and so on and so forth. Hmm. There's but, not as much like fake sex play between them like we have, but <laughs> yeah. they take their families more seriously. Yeah, arrogantly, tall whites always made sure to point out that they love their children much more than we love ours. Uh, what are you talking about? I just watched a stepmom walking on her son masturbating, and then she finished him off. Family therapy, I think it was called. <laughs> that's what it was called. That's I didn't bad, watch it. I, that's a bad term for it. I didn't watch it. But back when Charles encountered his first family of tall whites, he decided to approach them like he approached cattle back in his home state of Wisconsin. Oh, he's a Wisconsin boy. He's a Wisconsin boy. No Wisconsin accent at all. No accent no. in any way whatsoever. Oh, we don't have an accent. <laughs> you have an accent. We don't have an accent. Well, Charles advanced slowly, trying not to spook him. But when he did so, they all stood up straight as if they were preparing for an attack. Yeah, because nothing is more spooky than someone is like, but that's when he was humming this mantra to make sure that he kept himself together, you know? Never be scared of the small, small They're always kind and Always be scared of the tall white man. It's going to be stuck in my head for a very long time, and I'm going to sing it at a very inappropriate moment. Yep. Well, suddenly, Range 4 Harry appeared and started communicating with Charles through a thought transference helmet that Harry was wearing. And since the family were also wearing the helmets, everyone's thoughts, including Charles's, were linked. 
Charles tried to communicate that he wasn't there to hurt anyone, but the woman of the family wouldn't quit thinking that Charles was going to tear them to pieces and stuff them in, quote, those terrible garbage cans. How would he doesn't... They, why would they be scared of him? They are more scared of us than we are of them. They're scared of all humans. because But they have the power to obliterate us. But we also have the power to obliterate them. They're he about, doesn't. They go about ninety pounds. They're very fragile. Like we could, I, I'm not even that strong, uh, and I could rip a tall white apart with my bare hands. It's like glass. If you got it a tall glass. white, yeah, you could beat. You could very easily beat a tall white to death. Something yeah. okay. with the gray. You grab a gray's head, fucking smash it against a wall, and his skull will crack. You could take your hand and shove it up a fucking gray's no ass. You could make an asshole oh. pull out its guts if you want to. They're that fragile. If you're thinking about it like that, sure. That's what you want to do with your life if you met an alien you could do that yeah. yeah but they can control your body though and that's when they get you yeah it seems like it after about 10 minutes of this woman freaking out and charles saying i'm not gonna hurt you she finally made her way over to harry and the child soon followed then harry thanked charles for not moving a muscle during the entire ordeal and charles went back to the weather shack but Charles was still hearing their thoughts, and he overheard Harry tell the woman that Charles would never hurt them because he was so much more intelligent than everyone else. And in <laughs> fact, Harry had never seen a man as intelligent as Charles. But he will annoy them. <laughs> Charles is just as never... No one has ever believed in Charles. <laughs> and he had to make up a whole series of events where a bunch of people believed in him just so that he could feel what it's like to hear a bunch of people say... You're great, Charles. Oh, You're doing good, Charles. He never heard that once. He needs some Tony Robbins in his life. He needs a little encouragement. He needs some encouragement. It's just it, the whole book, no one ever says a bad word about him in the entire book. It's just a bunch of people telling him how smart he is, how brave he is, how wonderful now, he is. Aww. How fucking gutsy he is. Uh, yeah. It's a lot of It's all been like, Charles has got guts. That guy's saying got guts. Again, again. <laughs> well, after that. The tall whites pretty much started fucking with Charles in the same way one might tease a pet, hmm. introducing unknown elements into his environment just to see what he would do. One day, Charles saw a white parachute floating around the gate of the base, which caused him to, what else, vomit uncontrollably. <laughs> <laughs> of course. He scared. He really, he, oh, man. The next day, out on the range, he saw a piece of plastic floating, which caused him to vomit again. It's it like is. my honestly, Wendy vomits a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just a little dog. Because he goes I mean, like To be fair, throw ups. In his defense, it is a great safety mechanism. <laughs> like if you're gonna go beat the shit out of someone and all of a sudden they start vomiting, you're like, ew. Uh, like, ugh, ugh, ugh. I'm gonna ugh, vomit. You if I see him vomiting, I'm, I'm gonna vomit. Yeah. Well, as he did his weather duties throughout that day, the parachute appeared again and followed him. And when he got back to the base, he said that he had the distinct feeling that the parachutes were happy that he was safe back at his home, huh. which seems like a weird kind of like dream. It, this does seem like he saw something that his brain could not comprehend at all. For right. some reason, the parachutes, that's what it seems like to me. I mean, maybe it's just bad writing, but it could also be that there was just he interpreted these structures or these creatures or these, you know, whatever as parachutes. OK, it is bad writing. But I do think that he <laughs> did see stuff. That's that's where the story it goes off into fucking Xenu land after all of this. But I do think oh, that so he this is, saw... Oh, so this is the normal part of the story. The reasonable <laughs> yes. part, yes. Huh. This is the reasonable part. But I, how many times have we heard tell 
of stories of people seeing these type of weird anomalous activities that they go out there and they see they can't understand. So your brain goes, I don't really I've never heard of so many people vomiting when they saw weird stuff. But normally you go like, huh, that's weird. That's a normal response to it. Right. Soon after that, though. Charles Hall finally made contact with the tall white that he came to know as the teacher. On that day, Charles got a call from an airman who said he'd just seen an airliner crash out in the desert, even though no planes were flying in the area that day. Charles sent out a few men to check it out, but they soon reported that while there was no crash, one of the airmen had been burned badly on the forehead and was having trouble staying conscious. Huh. When the airman finally came to, he said through racking sobs that when they arrived at the craft, it appeared as though an airplane without wings or a tail was on fire, and the airman started shouting for everyone to exit the craft, lest they burn alive. (laughs) At that moment, he said four white, terrible little mutants emerged and growled at him with a noise that sounded like a coyote mixed with a horse, and these creatures were followed by a tall white woman. She shouted in perfect English that the creatures, which were definitely tall white children, were only playing with him, and that he needed to run away immediately if he wanted to survive. That's the opposite of playing. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) totally being serious with him. Not knowing what to do, the airman grabbed the woman by the arm because he thought that she was in danger, and that caused two male tall whites to run out of the fuselage saying, You idiot! You stupid idiot! Run for your life! Oh my goodness. But still, the airman tried taking the woman, thinking he was saving her. And that's when one of the men pulled out his pencil device and burned the airman on the forehead. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. The airman dropped, and the male called him a stupid pig. Whoa, jeesh. Said, you had no right to touch the teacher, and I'd kill you if my captain would only give me the authority. But you did call me a stupid pig, which is not quite killing me, but it is very mean. I am a stupid pig. I am a stupid pig. (laughs) They they then drove the airman back to his weather shack, pressing the pencil against his forehead and burning him again and again, saying, are you going to get out of here? Are you going to get out of here? Jeez. The airman then passed out, and when he came to, his friend Steve was there, and they called Charles because Charles was the only one who had ever had a positive experience with the tall whites. However, from what I can tell, Charles's only reaction was, what do you want me to do about it? Come on, Charles. This is your chance. You can be a hero. What was he gonna do? Mess up his relationship with the tall whites? He's been working on this for a while. What is he's just he's just. What's he gonna do? Go out there and shoot him? No, he should go talk to them. Apparently, they're friends. <laughs> they with only them. talk to you if they want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Soon after the pod snafu, though, another airman named Brian had an encounter with the so-called teacher. The airman said the teacher showed up in the airman barracks wearing what was obviously a wig along with a lot of makeup, Mm. although he could still tell that her skin was chalk white. They were not good at makeup. Okay. She told Brian that he could call her the teacher and that she was waiting to talk to Charlie. Fortunately, though, Charlie, he was off in Vegas that night. Oh, okay, yes. He was making everyone very uncomfortable at the craps table. (laughs) Yeah. So the woman thanked Brian for his time and ran off at an incredible speed, saying she had to get back to her trailer park. 
I just think it's just all of this weird shit where she could call the Pentagon immediately. I know when he's been hurt psychically, but she had no clue that he was on vacation in Vegas. And she still got all done in her I'm a person get up to go talk to him. That's where it's strange to me. I know there's a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense, but these are the things that are like, what are we talking about here? (laughs) Why would she do all this? Yeah, it doesn't really have any, like, uh, you know, train of thought that makes sense. No rationality or anything like that. Ah, but does that point towards it being more true? Or? Yep. (laughs) I mean, think about it this way. Does your life follow a plot? Does mine? A little bit. Kind of. I mean, I knew I was coming to work. I knew, like, I know, sort of. Sort of, in a way. But, I mean, anything can and will happen at any time. Yeah. Yeah, but not really. You could have sex with a talking horse tomorrow. You don't know. I Well. You don't know what's going to happen, Ben. All right. Okay, that's true. After that, the Tall Whites furthered their contact and concocted a ruse to corner Charles. Posing as doctors, they set up- Just make a big (laughs) breakfast and he will show up. Posing as doctors, they set up an appointment with Charles by telling him he was going in for a standard visit to the neurosurgeon. Oh, yes. Oh, I always that, do my monthly visit to oh, the yeah. neurosurgeon. I <laughs> yeah, always yeah. go just to have him look. Just to just to see, be like, is your brain still there? And Charles showed up, though. He found an unusually thin receptionist wearing a wig, heavy makeup, <laughs> gloves, and a dress with long sleeves despite the desert heat. And she had Charlie wait for 30 minutes. Oh, that's a... You're going to have to... Come on. You're going to have to sit here. There's some magazines, though, if you want them. But <laughs> you notice that these are kind of similar to the descriptions of the men in black? Mm-hmm. Yeah, where they did just look strange. Yeah, and absolutely. They, yeah, nothing really fits. And you know for a fact, sometimes you're in a doctor's office, no one else is there, you're still waiting for 30 minutes, it's a power trip. <laughs> they just want to make trip. you wait. Yeah, the doctor's in there, God knows what, he's just huffing on laughing gas, yep. <laughs> just like, playing with the scalpels. When Charles was finally brought in to talk to the quote-unquote doctor, he instead found what he believed to be a security agent. But it might also have been a tall white in disguise. After some bizarre small talk involving fruit trees in San Francisco... Charles, can you explain to me, why do some trees have eggs? (laughs) That's a very good question, actually. I'm not really certain. I guess fruit are eggs. Yeah. Right? Aren't fruit eggs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great conversation to have. (laughs) After that, the man told Charles he'd passed the patient's test by waiting quietly for 30 minutes. Then the man directed Charles to exit the room and walk for one mile without turning around once. (laughs) Which is biblical. It's It's interesting. It's like the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Charles was then told that he would be stationed alone out in the desert until further notice, and that he would only be allowed to leave his post once every six months for no more than two weeks. Hmm, that's not that bad. Two weeks, good vacation. Charles was also told that he had a new name when he was out in the desert. If he was asked what his name was out there, he was told to say either friend of the teacher or teacher's pet. I never want to be brought in office and told that my new name is Teacher's Pet. No, that's not good. (laughs) Well, because this shows, this is the thing where they're telling him openly, like, we can kill you at any time. Like, if this is all real, like, we are not even pretending. You are just now in this world of the weird, neutral alien agenda. We don't, we don't know what they want from you. If this is all, you know, this is putting the everything is true hat on. And so they are putting out there being like, we'll kill you maybe. 
We're trying to figure out what to do with you and what we decide what to do. What you'll find out later on is that they were they were using Charles to nurse the younger ones to get them used to being around humans before they were allowed to be around human generals and human muckety mucks at the human side of the Air Force Base. Of course. And once Charles was given all these instructions, he naturally asked why he was chosen. The security agent told him that he'd been picked because he was patient, and that the Pentagon had picked him particularly because of his, quote, incredible reasoning ability. (laughs) I think, um, well, I'm going to say, technically, the reason why we chose you is because you're a little bitch, (laughs) and we can do whatever we want to you, and you never scream. That doesn't sound as good as as incredible incredible reasoning reasoning ability. (laughs) The man then ducked out, but not before saying he couldn't believe the guts Charles had. <laughs> it's almost like Any, he's making it up. Any single time someone keeps telling you you're brave, it means you're doing something they would never do. They are very scared for you, and you are in constant danger. Yep. And you just have to have a lump in your brain or some kind of wall between your direct understanding of reality and your consciousness to not see, like, I think I might be like a goat on a stick out here like Jurassic Park. <laughs> Yeah. So once Charles was stationed in his permanent post, the teacher finally showed herself. Six feet tall, the teacher was pleasant and friendly, and Charles said that when he looked at her, he felt as if he was looking at a beautiful horse. <laughs> How does that feel? <laughs> How does that feel? What does he that even feels? mean? This uh, is the kind of guy who feels colors, you know, like he doesn't see anything really, but he he, I, he has a he has a sixth sense about him, perhaps. Yeah, it's some sort of like synesthesia thing. I, I mean, I think essentially what he was saying is that like, if there was a horse that you'd want to fuck, she would be that horse. She's a fucker. And there's horse. never been one. There's well, never been a you. horse but that yeah, walked you're not military legs, grade, Henry. that wasn't covered in hair, that had normal human breasts, had a vagina I could see without moving a tail. I mean, unless I wanted a butt plug to be in there with the tail on it, but even that's kind of weird. Henry, it sounds like you don't have any guts. Doesn't sound like you have a lot of guts at all, my friend. What's it's wrong with pony play? You have a little fun? You prance around? I'm fine. I'm fine with being a pony cowboy. Pony boy. Pony boy. But even so, the Tall Whites did indeed treat Charlie like an amusing pet. One day, Charles had the unfortunate task of unloading 12 heavy helium cylinders from his truck into the weather shack in the desert heat. Man, he got exactly what he fucking asked for. Charles went to the fucking head of the office and he bitched about how no one actually was doing the weather and they threw out all the fucking balloons and they threw out all the helium tanks and then finally he was like, I just can't believe that no one's actually doing the weather work around here. And they were like, all right, here's all the weather work. Go lift these 12 fucking helium fucking cylinders by yourself, dude, because that's what the real weatherman's supposed to be doing. You could be skating right now. Well, Mm -hmm. have fun with it. Blow up some balloons. Make them dial. That's all he does. It's his whole job. His whole job is blowing up balloons like he's a simple man at a car wash. Well, (laughs) those people are needed. Well, as he begun unloading the cylinders, he noticed a tall white woman and a child staring at him from about 20 feet away. After the sixth cylinder, Charles laid down to rest, and a tall white man appeared. (laughs) Jokingly, Charles offered the tall whites a Coke and some corn chips if they'd help out. But he got no answer. So he kept moving the cylinder yeah, alone. They didn't, they didn't want his fucking corn chips. <laughs> they didn't. They didn't care about corn chips. No, nope, no. Nope. I guess I'll just eat my Seven Eleven breakfast on my own. <laughs> 
Well, after the ninth cylinder, Charles got a call from the base commander commending him on his bravery, because apparently the commander, the major, and the general were all somehow watching to see if Charles was going to get killed in this interaction. He had no idea what he was out there for. He did not understand that if all of this is real, he was literally out there to be killed. They were they were sure he was going to get murdered. He's got guts. Yeah, they did. That is actually what he called. Is like, I can't believe how brave you are right now. He was like, I don't understand all of the calls and all of the everybody saying I'm brave. I'm sitting here simply here. Filling balloon. <laughs> like, yes. You shouldn't be, man. You should be running. You should be getting the hell out of there like Sullivan. Sullivan was screaming like a fucking maniac. Yeah, and Charles said, thank you, that's great. And then continued moving the cylinders. Great. But being so exhausted, he started vomiting again. <sighs> okay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm sure you vomited, Darren. I, I, when? Dar- like when you're Dur- working out, like doing... Uh, oh, yeah, when I'm working out. Uh, no, when I... Uh, no, I... Like in high school. In football practice, I maybe vomited. Maybe. Maybe once. No. No. I remember it was encouraged to... You, we were encouraged to vomit during hockey practice. Oh, yeah. I'd vomit every two-a-days. But, yeah, I guess. I guess. Okay, sure. Okay. <laughs> it was the only way to show... You had to be crying and vomiting or you weren't, I guess, like masculine enough like you had to push it. My problem is that I vomited once, and then I was like, "I don't like this." No, you have to work out throughout the summer, and then when you go to your two a days, you're still in fine shape, so you don't vomit. Yeah, that's how it's supposed to happen, but doesn't always Never work. Did. Right. I didn't do it; I would just quit. <laughs> but yeah. Well, after Charles recovered, the teacher and a child approached him. Charles playfully tossed her a block of wood, which she caught and threw back. Fucking just unbelievable. He said he threw a block of wood at this person who's been, you know, number one, you know that they are easily agitated and they will burn you to death with their laser beams or just fucking paralyze you. And he's just like, so I was having a fun game of toss wood. And I've never <laughs> played a fun game of toss wood. No, I didn't know that was a game. Yeah. Well, she caught it and she threw it back. But Charles was so exhausted, he didn't catch it. It hit him in the head and he vomited again. <laughs> just fucking. And they're just laughing, man. Yeah. And that's when a fully armed, tall, white male showed up looking a little threatening. Charles communicated to the teacher that he meant no harm. And then he vomited again. <laughs> I just think vomiting is my favorite. He is the fat kid in Stand By Me. There is so much vomit in this. He's not in an eating competition. He's just doing nothing with with these creatures. And he's just vomiting up corn chips and coke. Coke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, trying to put everyone at ease after he stopped vomiting, Charles started telling jokes. To the tall whites. Of course, it's a great opening act. So you eat corn chips, you slam a bunch of coke, you vomit, then it's time for humor. Yeah. <laughs> then it's then it then comes the jokes. Then comes the real entertainment. That was the appetizer. <laughs> and it's supposedly the jokes, even though Charles admits the jokes were bad, they made He wouldn't the teach- even put the jokes in the book. He, he didn't, didn't put he the said, jokes in the book. Jokes. It was infuriating that he he just like the jokes were bad, but the teacher laughed hysterically. It's so annoying. But he said that it, the teacher laughed. The bar the the laugh of a tall white is a bark. Like all right, all right. I uh, I will assume they're laughing, which is how I spend most of my life. Yeah, yeah. Charles had even managed to crack up two of the tall whites off in the distance, causing one to admit, "quote General." He sure has guts. What? How? That doesn't even... Because he's not, telling jokes. But that doesn't take guts. That takes a sense of humor. Uh, Charles but you know the, it does take guts? 
all the dry heaving that he did. Yeah, he <laughs> started dry afterwards. heaving immediately after. Yeah, because he's very tired. Well, he has no more vomit in him. <laughs> and at that moment, an American Air Force colonel stepped out from the building where Charles had been loading the cylinders. Guy had been there, been in there the whole time. Okay, whole time. Watching him masturbating from the corner. God knows what he's doing in there. I don't know why he was hiding in the shed. No, no idea. As the colonel stepped out, the teacher confusingly told Charles that the next time he had to help the tall whites for free. I don't know what the fuck that means. Doesn't mean, it means nothing. And okay. Then, and then Charles passed out until 4 a.m. Mm. When he came to, the remaining cylinders were unloaded. They did the work for him. They did. And all you have to do is vomit a lot. Yep. That's a one thing about the American workforce that we will make sure that we keep going in 2021. Vomit until you lose all responsibility. And throw some <laughs> jokes in there. You know what? The, one thing we forgot to mention in the very beginning was that he technically, where the sort of the first layer of trust came from, was that he saved the young child of the... The tall whites. Yeah, he found the kid. Yeah, he found the kid. He found some kid, and he cleared sagebrush so that the kid could get out. And ever since then, they thought that he actually was a good one because the kid somehow, for some reason, the kid didn't kill him. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was calm. You know, he was very he was calm, calm. Very Yeah, very calm, very uh, loving. He right. gave off a good vibe. Well, from then on, the tall whites were at ease with Charles, and but they still terrified him. Sometimes he'd sing out loud in their presence just to keep his shit together, which usually caused the tall whites to bark laugh once again. I like big butts and I can't lie. All the other brothers can't deny. Uh, You're like, huh, what is this? But they did end up having some conversations, and Charles was able to figure out small details about the tall whites. As far as where they came from, they wouldn't tell him, mm. but he figured their home planet was about 105 light years from Earth. Now, why did he figure that? Henry? Made it up. <laughs> Made it up. Okay, great. He tried to, they tried to say, so he tried to make up a concept about how he taught, they knew about stars, but I think all that can kind of came after the fact. Yeah. Okay. As far as why they were there, Charles could never figure that out either, but he was led to believe that Earth might be a sort of way station for lengthy interstellar trade routes run by the tall whites. Basically, the U.S. government, this is the later on in books two and three, he explains a little bit more about how the tall whites had an arrangement with the U.S. government, kind of like the Greys, but with the Greys, they allowed us to abduct us the, the, and use us for their hybrid programs to get weaponry. The tall, gray, the tall whites were used to get some form of technology, but they wouldn't do anything. They needed tit for tat, but they did not believe in abducting us. They didn't want to mix their DNA with ours. Okay. So they were allowed to have big swaths of underground bases where they would go and they would bring their giant, essentially what you said, trade ships in. There were these huge ellipsoidal things that were double hulled. This is after the fact of what Charles Holt said he figured out. Right with his research and what was told as he got higher and higher quote unquote security clearance and that within these two holes was the series of fiber optic cables that would allow the ships to fuzz out in order to do all the weird aerodynamic things that we see UFOs do that would kill normal pilots right mm. stop on a dime move super fast but what they would do is they would come to Earth, this was like a way station, sort of a fix-it spot, where they would never share technology with the U.S. government, much to their disappointment. But what the U.S. government would do is leave out things for them to use, like give them like metal, give them tools, and they would use them using their own science, and then every once in a while, they would take one of their crafts and fix it on their own. I mean, like, here you go. That's payment. Thank you for allowing us to fix our ships with your materials. We just fixed one of yours. Mm -hmm. So they would fix vehicles. 
<laughs> they were just mechanics. That was they, they were space mechanics. They were space yeah. mechanics, and that was currency. Yeah. This is the movie Space Truckers. Ah. Well, as far as how long the Tall Whites had been there, they were again vague. But one of them did suggest that they'd been in the Americas in one form or another since the administration of President James Madison. Hmm. Early 1800s. But even though it seemed as if Charles Hall was just a plaything to the Tall Whites, he was apparently doing a task that was of extreme importance when it came to the interaction between the alien race and our own government. On Charles's last encounter with the Tall Whites, the entire base was emptied out except for Charles and Smokey the Cook. (laughs) (laughs) Smokey's very important somehow. Yes, you gotta have breakfast. It's the most important meal of the day. That is actually why Charles, that's why he said Smokey was left behind because somebody had to make him food. I hate when I'm accidentally dumb. (laughs) (laughs) When you're being purposefully dumb. You're being purposefully dumb, but you are correct? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Once they were alone, though, truckloads of Pentagon personnel showed up along with a whole crew of tall whites. After the tall whites immobilized Charles with a strange white cube pressed to his head, mm-hmm. the tall whites suddenly had complete and total control over Charles's movements and speech. Great. Look, we're making him scratch his butt. <laughs> <laughs> now he's scratching the other side of his butt. <laughs> that guy's got guts. <laughs> Once they did that, an American general emerged from one of the trucks, and he was met by the tall white ambassador. Oh. And they did that handshake thing where slap, slap, slip and slap, and then they touch boots. Yeah. Huh. Finally, the teacher appeared, and 15 tall whites followed her. In perfect English, she introduced Charles Hall to the 15 tall whites. This is Karen, Andrew, Madison, Kiernan. Uh-huh, uh-huh. This is Macintosh. Nice. This is Tomasian. Oh, a lo- new type of white. When I was growing up, I wanted to have, I was going to name my children Freedom and Liberty. Huh. Isn't that nice? Oh, yeah, so you wanted to name them after American gladiators? <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were good names. But, of course, they're horrible names. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> it's strange how the brain changes, though, huh? Well, Liberty's a fun name for a girl. That's bad, though. Old I don't know. Liberty, yeah. This is my daughter, Freedom. This is my other daughter, Liberty. And they'd be like, are you a pedophile? <laughs> well, after she introduced Charles Hall to the 15 tall whites, she made sure to note that Charles was extremely intelligent. He's got guts. She then revealed that it was, in fact, her daughter, Playful Butterfly, that Charles had saved oh so long ago in the brush. Oh, the teacher then went on to say that while Charles was always terrified, he never panicked, never became hysterical, and never ran when he encountered a tall white. Instead, he just stood there and sang, and for that he was special. <laughs> just, I just don't. So he's writing this. He's a grand he's old flag. He's a high flying <laughs> flag. I don't know. I simply love his attitude. Yeah. As it turned out. The tall white ambassador was the teacher's husband. Oh, it all works out. And he thanked Charles as well, saying, quote, You have helped both of our governments more than you will ever know. (laughs) For what? How? (laughs) I still don't know how. Surviving. He (sighs) hid. That's it? I don't know. Okay. Then Range 4 Harry appeared and said he'd always enjoyed Charlie singing. That favorite song of mine, of yours, is incredible. Never be scared of the short, short man. <laughs> Yeagos, they are kind and they have a plan. And they're like, oh, Charles, he's got guts. He's got guts. 
And then after he told them that he enjoyed his singing, Harry pointed the pencil device at Charlie's temple, and Charles just started singing against his will. Wow. That's a grand old And then they're all like tap- tapping their foot and stuff. Wow. And you know the human generals are fucking terrified. Yeah. They're just sitting watching me like, oh my God, is this when they finally didn't kill him? Is this it? I can't wait to see it. And after that, Charles's mind wandered and his eyesight blurred. When he came to, he was alone at his desk. The phone rang, and when Charlie answered, he was told that it was all over and he could go back to whatever life he wanted to live. So it was all a dream? Does he end this book like it's in a snow globe? <laughs> what is going on? No, he served his purpose. It was all a dream. No, it wasn't all a dream. No, it was all real. Yeah. Well, it was all a beautiful reality. <sighs> I'm dumber. I'll tell you that. <laughs> now, take it at face value. The story of Charles Hall and the Tall Whites is objectively ridiculous. Mm-hmm. In fact, it might even be considered borderline stupid. I might be upset with you two. <laughs> I maybe, maybe I need to go and be like, guys, I'm going to now be a thrice producer for the show, and let's talk about topics together. <laughs> maybe we'll just spitball. Maybe I can just be like, maybe no, yeah, you know. We just learned a lot more about Tall Whites. And whatever their fake reality is. <laughs> However, it might be considered borderline stupid. Sure. If be. not for the evidence that came afterward. And what? here's where it gets interesting. Okay, this is now, okay, now it gets interesting. Yeah. That's where you got, we got you fucking legally over in the knee. You got us, le- you got me legally? Now, the websites that support Charles Hall's story do a lot of topographical analysis that they say proves Charles knew what he was talking about because the topographical maps match the topographical descriptions in millennial hospitality. But what Charles Hall could not have foreseen when he started working on his book decades ago was the invention of Google Maps. Oh! Using that tool, investigators have been able to find something extraordinary. In the same area, Charles said he had all these encounters one can clearly see on Google Maps three white tic-tac-shaped objects, the same sort of object Charles Hall described as being the craft of the tall whites. Okay. Yep. Furthermore, Paul Hellyer, Canada's former defense minister, said when he went public with his alien knowledge a few years ago that the tall whites were one of the two alien races working with the United States government. Mm. Now, take Paul Hellyer as you will, because he also says that the Council of Foreign Relations, the Bilderbergs, the Trilateral Commission, the banking cartels, and the oil cartels are all working in conjunction to keep information about aliens from the public. It's uh, absolutely true. But he's also- It's absolutely fucking true. <laughs> because we can't, even handle a, we can't even handle messaging about a plague that is ravaging our country without making it some political fucking bullshit. You, you're going to deal with the tall whites come from the <laughs> yeah. sky? And, and there's also some cooperation from other sites, because he's not the only one who's necessarily talked about tall whites. Betty Andreessen, during the Andreessen affair, actually saw things closely described to, towards what the, these tall whites description. There was another guy named Raymond Fowler, who talked about the Italian Navy. Um, so I guess that's just a fleet of gondolas. Yeah, I think they, so. they pursued a UFO sighting on the slopes of Mount Etna in 1978, and they saw a red pulsating dome disc landing. And the witnesses encountered what they called two tall, golden-haired, white-robed beings accompanied by three or four shorter beings wearing helmets and spacesuits. Very, very similar. This comes from the book Alien Identities by Richard L. Thompson. He's big into the Vedic movement, talking all about how the, Indi- the, the old books of Indian culture described ancient UFOs. But what can't be denied 
is the video released just a few years ago by Tom DeLonge's To The Stars Academy that at the very least proves that UFOs exist, even if the video does not prove that there are aliens inside those UFOs. And when you watch the video in question, we showed it uh, on our yep, last tour. It's a great video. An Air Force pilot is tracking an unidentified flying object that very suddenly moves out of his view. But what's interesting is that this object is very similar to the white tic-tac craft that was described by Charles Hall in Millennial Hospitality decades before. Okay. You watch this fucking blip make a turn. Like, you watch it move against the wind and make a turn that looks like it is piloted. <clears throat> it has been covered endlessly by the ufology community. I think it's really, really interesting. I, I love that video. And there's, I mean, ellipsoidal porcelain white ships have been seen all over the world. Uh, Jacques Vallée famously covered a bunch of them that happened uh, in South America of these big, but the, he kind of called them more refrigerator-shaped porcelain UFOs that would zap people, though. And, of course, you can watch LastPodcastLive.com. If you want to watch our live show, you can go to LastPodcastLive.com, and you can see Henry's fun alien segment where we show those videos. And, of course, Marcus has some rebuttal videos yes, I do. of his own that are quite dare I say, funny. So it's possible these things can coexist, right? Yeah. Because the Tic Tac stuff, I mean, we've seen evidence of that. Yeah, we have. And then maybe he just kind of put the story around it. Yeah. Big if true. Yeah. Big if <laughs> yes. true. Yeah. I mean, it could be that the images on Google, Google Maps are man-made structures that Hall merely used as inspiration for this story. Could be that he was out in the desert for six months and just stared at these fucking things for a really long time until they became something else. Sure. And it could be that his experiences were a government experiment of an entirely different Sort. Yeah, dude. Honestly, it could go that fucking far, too. Yeah. That is one of those where you don't know what kind of mental games they're playing with you if you're just being thrown out in the desert and expected <laughs> to die. I mean, remember Edgewood? The Edgewood chemical yes. experiments, you know, where they were actually drugging dudes and you know, but seeing what would happen? Maybe the same thing happened with Charles Hall. I don't know. Who knows? Could be. He, nope. I, I like to think that he maybe saw shit, and then as time goes, he expanded it. And then as he realized it was because people obviously always say, well, they profit off of this, like Charles Hall profits off of this. And I've seen some of his his live shows. I'm going to say live shows. Um, and I don't think he's he's making a lot of money. You don't think so, huh? Maybe. Yeah. And I don't think it's leading to a lot of other work as well. Because he definitely tried to expand his purview to a thing where he tried to explain how these ships worked using a thing called the Hall Theory of Photon Structure, which he said <laughs> is based upon his endless thinking and ruminating upon the super complicated uh, physics theories of like relatively and string theory, and that he managed to combine them all into a brand new science uh. called the Hall Photon Structure, and that he only understands, and those are only to be found in the appendices of books three and four, where he explains it using a bunch of words. Okay. In other words, there's no proof here. Ah. But a lot of interesting <laughs> correlations. Very interesting. Which is, that's how all UFO investigation goes. You know, it's interesting correlations. Sure. But when you take all the evidence outside of Charles Hall's story, it does suggest that, at the very least, some parts of the story might have nuggets of truth. Okay. Even if Charles Hall juiced it like everybody in the paranormal community disappointingly does every single time. When I watched the documentary, I was compelled by the idea of a, a man alone at a weather station seeing objects in the desert, seeing creatures in the desert. To me, there's something that is very interesting about that little story. 
Right. But later on, when he goes on to meet the Galactic Commission, when he meets the Nordic aliens that are born with 24 teeth, and he talks about that, and that's supposed to be proof from that we know for a fact that he met Nordic aliens. When he talks about the Greys and how he had a whole theory about Roswell, about how the downships, there were three ships in the Corona incident. Yes. Not Roswell incident, right? There were Corona. three ships. And then when they were brought down, one was brought down, and the U.S. government was actually highly hesitant because the U.S. government had secret information that actually small greys are baby-slash-teenage greys, and they're the ones that pilot all ships. But actually, the tall greys can't exist within our dimensions, and that's why we never meet them. But the Air Force didn't blow off the other two ships that came into orbit because they didn't want to kill a bunch of teenagers, and they didn't want baby blood on their hands. Right. All right. Is that the tall whites? That's the tall whites. And there it I is, just, folks, I'm not the finished. tall whites. I'm not you finished. You know what? I know you're not finished, Henry. <laughs> I love it. This is very exciting stuff. I feel like I want to vomit. Uh, what a great, fun story. Whether it be true or not true, it's a very good tale. And uh, I will err on the side that everything you just listened to, folks, is a thousand percent true. And if you write an essay on it in class, you will get an F because that teacher is a CIA stooge. CIA fucking stooge. <laughs> and you it. are a part of an experiment on your own. So go, I dare you. If you are in school right now, write a write an essay yes. on the existence of the tall whites in Charles Hall and prove it and get out there because if they fail you, you're doing your own civic duty. Absolutely. Fucking fight in the universities. If it Fighting was, that fucking money system. If it was easy, everyone would tell the truth, wouldn't they? That's right. This was... <laughs> extraordinarily difficult to put all this information together. <laughs> all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Tall Whites. Don't seem that bad. They like to play with logs. If you have a log, throw it up in the air. Hopefully they catch it. Yeah. Um, and yes, thank you all so much for supporting the show. And what do we have announcements? We've got last podcast merch. we got some new shirts out there. Those are so fun. Thank you so much for all the incredible designs. You can always tag us on Instagram or tag us on Twitter. Uh, prefer Instagram so that I can post the picture. And, uh, you know, try to spread the word. And if you do arts and crafts, um, tag us if you if you make something with us and we will try to help you sell some product of your own. That's yeah. right. Whatever you need, we will try to help. We always like to help out our DIY business people Abs- out there. Absolutely. We really do. Uh, we just gave in our donation to... Uh, one fair wage. Yes. Uh, we're going to keep pushing to take care of many people as humanly possible. We love boosting the signal of people that are making their own art because it's so hard to get it through, get it through all the noise. Absolutely. And we know that that's like, you, you guys are, I, I don't know, it's, it's, so, it's so cool how many fucking artists we have that listen it's to the show. It's incredible yeah. how talented many of our listeners are. I've seen podcasts, other podcasts have their fan art and their fan art sucks <laughs> and our fan art's great. Um, no, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not but you guys are amazing um so thank you all so much for supporting the the network uh we got uh, don't forget no dogs if you yep. want no dogs in space if you want music news top hat politics wrestling kind of fun um Whizbro, you know the show so just keep on supporting the network we're growing and growing and growing bigger every day so thank you that's all because of you and of course if you give to our patreon henry and i as henry mentioned we have a fun interview this week with a dude named john tenney who really fascinating guy he had an early near-death experience when he was young mm. and that sort of turned him on to the paranormal and all of those kinds of things so it's really just interesting weird there's a bunch of spooky shit going on that's all i can say on that so thank you all so much hail yourselves hail satan again magustalations hail me and look to the skies <laughs> i will every day every day 
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. Imagine, you just got home from work, dinner is ready, wine is chilled, and your man has offered you 15 minutes of heaven in the form of a foot massage. And then he says, Your red light therapy session is now complete. What just happened? You found your escape at Palm Beach Tan. Break from the chaos at a Palm Beach Tan near you and leave rejuvenated. Take time for yourself at Palm Beach Tan and take that feeling with you wherever you go. New red light therapy now available featuring Australian gold. Perfect man, not included.